Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we continue with our birth stories for the summer series. Today's story comes from Jennifer Gillette, who was caught by surprise by the birth of her son at 34 weeks. She'll be here telling us all about life with a preemie. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by the first eight days of being a mom, a day-by-day manual on taking care of the new mom as well as her newborn. Get a 10% discount by going to thefirst8days.com slash birthful. That's with the number eight, thefirst8days.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. and mamas to be. I want to thank you once again for all the love you're giving the show. And here's a quick reminder that it's super helpful if you rate the show on iTunes. And to do that, go to birthful.com slash review. You click on the view in iTunes link, then on ratings and reviews, and then give as many stars as you think we should get. So one from the link, then you go three clicks, including your stars, starting from birthful.com slash review, and I will be forever grateful. So this week, we continue to switch the spotlight from the professionals to the mamas who are gracious enough to join us and share their birth stories in order to tell what real life birth looks like. And today, I have my friend Jennifer Gillette to tell us her birth stories. Hi, Jen. Hi. How are you? Good to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. Yay. So you have two birth stories. You're, we were just chatting before a little bit, and I can't believe that your children are going to be four and two. Or Marshall did turn four already? Yeah, he turned four in May. Mm-hmm. And so that's the story you're going to focus on. Tell us about uh, his birth. Well, um, let's see, it was about 34 weeks, um, and I was sitting on the couch watching TV. My husband ran out, I think, to get ice cream. And, you know, obviously we didn't expect him to be born that early. Um, and it felt like there was a wave that went through my my uterus and I started to leak a little bit. And so I, you know, I kind of panicked about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And luckily um, Chad came home right after it happened. And we called the emergency hotline um, for my OB's office, and they told me to come in. Sure. Um, so we, yeah. <laughs> and at that point, we were we were pretty nervous about what was happening, and I I didn't really realize that my water had broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and had, we got there. It was about ten o'clock you, at night, I think. I'm gonna interrupt a little bit. Had you like okay. by that time, thirty four weeks? So. Where were you mentally in your pregnancy? Had you already done a bag for the hospital? Had you taken your finished your childbirth education classes? If you were taking anything, like where were you at? We had not finished our classes. We actually had another class to take the following week. We did not have a bag packed. Mm-hmm. We were completely unprepared because everybody says the first, you know, first time it usually takes longer. <laughs> so we weren't ready at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so basically when we we got there, I think we were both in denial that 
that I was actually in labor. Um, and our, my doctor, you know, realized that I was, but she made it sound like it was possibly going to be a couple of days. Okay. And so Chad then went home to get some stuff. And he takes a long time to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, so we called his sister. So my sister-in-law was there to support me, mm-hmm. which was great because it did take him a while to get back to the hospital. And this was at night? This was about, yeah, uh, I think I went in at like 10 o'clock at night. Um, but things progressed pretty quickly from there. And um, we had to call my my parents were down in Florida. They started driving. You know, they had expected to be up for the baby being born. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of sad to not have my mother there to support me. Yeah, we were we were very unprepared for all of that. Well, it was very early. It was almost two months, you know, 34 weeks. Yeah. Almost two months early. Um, when almost your water broke, did you start getting contractions right away when you were at the hospital where you were contracting or not yet? I was. They were fairly mild. And... I didn't even really realize, I guess, what they were right away. <laughs> I think, again, because I was kind of in denial that I was in labor, mm-hmm. um, I didn't recognize them as contractions. But then they did start to get quite a bit stronger pretty much about the time when Chad ran home to get our stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... And his sister was there with you by that time, or you were you alone? She was with me. Um, he waited for her to get there before he took off so okay. there was somebody with me the entire time thankfully yeah and I really should have called you because <laughs> um, it would have been nice to have doula support you know I learned that quickly uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, well things were happening so, way too quickly way too early yeah. yeah we were very overwhelmed and everything just it just happened fast um, about the time that you know Sally got there, and about an hour after she got there, my sister-in-law, Sally, um, I opted to take some pain medication. And I honestly don't remember what... It wasn't an epidural. Mm-hmm. They gave me something else first. And that worked for a little while. Was um, it just and then like I did about an hour? You know, worked about an hour or two? Might have been yeah, insane. it was about an hour or so. Mm-hmm. And it allowed me to rest for a bit and then when that wore off it was like overwhelming pain Mm -hmm. and I hadn't practiced I mean we hadn't even gotten to the part the class where we really practiced any breathing or anything so I didn't really have any breathing techniques down or any any comfort tools any comfort right right And that was something that I thought about with my second pregnancy, and I made sure that I went to a doula run class because the classes I was attending were at um, Rochester General. At the hospital. Mm-hmm. At the hospital, yeah, and they were they were good, but they didn't they didn't really delve into pain management. I didn't think enough. So, other than you know, other than the inter- interventions like narcotics or, or epidurals. Well, yeah, and the, the examples they give you. They showed some videos of live births, and and in each one, really, women were managing their pain with medication, which, you know, those examples are good to see, but they didn't really show you the other options. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I, you know, by the time that first medication wore off, I, I was just stressing out, 
you know, the baby was coming soon, I knew at this point, and the contractions were pretty severe, so I opted for an epidural. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to sleep for a little bit. So um, at that point, uh, I think it was probably two or three in the morning, and I had started to dilate quite a bit. I, he ended up being born at, I think it was like 6.34 a.m. So I really only, I only ended up pushing for about a half an hour because mm-hmm. he was smaller, I guess. And it just went very, very quickly. And I was lucky that the epidural had, it was at the right level for me to know that I needed to push. Okay. You could feel some pressure? Right. I could feel pressure. I knew I needed to push. Um, and they had me in like an operating room because he was so early. They had me in where they would do like a cesarean or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing because it was, you know, an emergency early birth. Right. Um, so that room was a little intimidating and you could only have one person in with you. So my husband was with me. Well, at least um, he was back. He'd gotten back by then. Yeah. <laughs> he got back. He was gone maybe an hour, really, but it just seemed like a really long time. Sure. And you may have taken a shower. Time. Okay. Well, you know. <laughs> uh, he thought he had time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so by the time I was, you know, I, I pushed for half an hour or so, and Marshall was born. And um, at first... They had to, you know, they they cut the cord pretty quickly because they wanted to get him breathing and they, you know, whisked him away. And I did hear like a weak cry. He wasn't, you know, I did hear some noises that were reassuring. Did you get to see him um, at but, all? Well, that was the thing is they had him off on a table, you know, and they're getting him breathing and cleaned up and everything immediately. And they almost took him out of the room without saying anything to Chad or I about what was going on. Yeah. So he, Chad spoke up and said, well, can she see him? And so they brought him over to me briefly and I saw him for a second and then they took him away. And I think it was because they were concerned about his breathing. Sure. Um, But I think, you know, you're kind of in a haze. Mm -hmm. And besides I had, you know, some medication in me and just being tired and, and all of the adrenaline and all of that. Right. And we were very excited to have a new baby boy. So we were very happy. And I don't think either of us really realized how nervous we should be. Do you know what I mean? Um, uh-huh. <laughs> we, we knew he needed some help with breathing. We expected that. But nobody nobody explained anything. <laughs> it was okay. just... They took him to another room. So, was anything you know, kinda, going on? Did you find out later? Well, we didn't really get to see him until the next day. Oh goodness! Okay. And when we went into the yeah, or well, no, I'm sorry. He was born at six thirty in the morning, so I guess it was later that day. But it was after I had slept a little, so it okay. felt like another day. <laughs> and when we went into the nursery, they said, um, "Well, he's doing a lot better." And we both thought, well, we didn't really realize how he was doing before Mm because nobody really explained anything. And I wish that we had asked more questions, but I think we were so overwhelmed by everything and we were exhausted. 
So, and I think a lot of the focus after they took him out of the room was trying to take care of everything that they needed to with me. Mm-hmm. So, um, they did do an episiotomy, which I was not expecting. Okay. And I had been told that they probably wouldn't. I don't know why exactly, if it was to maybe help him be born faster or that part I was, you know, pretty so upset you about. And you weren't asked about it. It just happened or they just did it? No, they, she said, we're going to do this. And then they did it. And there was no like, okay. are you okay with this or any of that? And, you know, you're in what is an emergency situation and you're just assuming that that's what's normally done. So at least I wasn't, you know. Um, Well, you really didn't know what was going on. No. (laughs) That was the the biggest frustration I had. You know, it's a scary situation. Nobody's telling us anything, you know. And I think they do that because they don't want you to be upset Mm -hmm. or concerned, but I, I like a lot of information personally. Mm-hmm. So I guess I would say if, if somebody goes into labor early, just ask a lot of questions before you get too far along so that you know what's going to happen. Um, right, because things can got, move very quickly. And you mm-hmm. were just even trying to process the fact that you were going to have a child six weeks early. <laughs> the nursery wasn't done. You know, nothing. <laughs> nothing was ready. So, uh, so, okay, so, and then did, so they were repairing your episiotomy and getting checked, you know, making sure you're okay. How are you feeling with the birth itself with that part? Well, I was, I, I don't know, I think I was kind of high on adrenaline. So mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that bothered me later didn't bother me so much at the time. We were so excited to have him and you know, we, as far as we knew, he was going to be okay. Right. And so we were kind of running high on the adrenaline. Um, There was physically, you know, obviously very drained. (laughs) And I have to say, like, the, when they were repairing the episiotic, they were not as gentle about it as, you know, I would have liked. I, in retrospect, um, wish I had spoken up. And I did say something that, you know, I did create a birth plan for the second pregnancy because of that. Right, because for this had, one, um, you didn't even have a birth plan yet. You hadn't finished your classes. No. Right. No, okay. I hadn't done anything. But they did have a student that was, was I think, helping to repair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in my birth plan, I said, you know, I know students have to learn, but I didn't want anybody working on me that wasn't a doctor because <laughs> it, it just took a very long time and there was a little too much discussion about how it should be done while I was lying there. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that was very uncomfortable. <laughs> sure. So for the second mm-hmm. time around, you, you included that in your birth plan. <laughs> I did. And they didn't have to give me an episiotomy again either. And I healed much faster. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's something to think about too. Or, you know, if it's at all a choice, <laughs> you don't have to have one. I think personally, my experience, it, it could heal faster. If it's just a natural um, tear. The natural tear, yes. Yeah. And I, mean, I know some people it's different. But... Yeah. Well, no, and that's what research shows, that a natural tear, tear yeah. heals better than an episiotomy. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it definitely did for me. (laughs) So, So, okay, you are getting fixed up, and then let's go to Marshall. What's happening with him? Like, did you guys, did you have to wait until you were able to get up and about to go see him? Did they ever bring him back? Was he, what what are they doing to him? They took him to the, um, like, the neonatal intensive care area. Mm -hmm. And um, they... uh, I, I'm pretty sure I slept for a little bit because I remember after the episiotomy wore off, my legs were very shaky and I felt very woozy and I wasn't really able to move around very well. So I had to rest for a while. And then they put me in a wheelchair and wheeled me down to see him. And he was all, you know, hooked up to oxygen and they had all the monitors on him, the heart rate and everything. Um, and at first he was doing fine that, that first day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he still needed help breathing, but he was quite healthy pink and, you know, he weighed five pounds, three ounces, um, mm-hmm. which is small, but he looked, you know, sturdy enough for an, for a premature baby. Right. Um, and then about halfway through the next night, actually it might have been like four or five in the morning. Um, Chad and I were sleeping in my hospital room because in the, in RGH, you couldn't, we weren't, we weren't in a shared room with him because with Marshall, because he had to be in that special care unit. Um, they came and told us, Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. They came and told us that he had air that had accumulated in his um, chest cavity and that there was a hole in his lung. So they were, they tried to remove that air with a syringe and it didn't work and they needed to put a tube in and that they had to take him to, to strong, mm-hmm. to the NICU at Strong's. And okay. so. Right. Which is a different hospital who has a more, yes. a, more, a better, a, or a bigger facility for, to deal with, uh, mm-hmm. preemie complications or, or situations. Yeah. And they're a great hospital and I, you know, we were familiar with it too so I knew what to expect um but I had to sign a bunch of paperwork to get him released and he's like in an incubator on a cart thing and I had to take him in an ambulance and then I had to um be discharged early so a doctor had to come see me mm-hmm. and so I had to sign a bunch of paperwork <laughs> to leave the hospital did um, you get to so run with him or was he already on his way no he was already on his way Okay. And it did have a sense of urgency to it. I think they were concerned at that point. And okay. so that was pretty frightening. Yeah. Um, and he spent, I think it was four weeks in the NICU at Strong Hospital. And that was tough. And he had, you know, he was on a feeding tube. He had jaundice. And they had to take care of the, the pneumothorax pneumothorax or the hole in his lung. Mm-hmm. And so all of these things, you know, and he had to regain some weight too because like any newborn, he lost weight, but his was even more significant being so low birth weight to begin with. Sure. Yeah. So, and that was, you know, it was pretty tricky going back and forth to the hospital and trying to express milk to, so that he could be fed my breast milk. And um, I couldn't actually breastfeed him until it must have been like two and a half, three weeks after I had him. 
Mm-hmm. So he didn't actually nurse from me for the first few weeks because he couldn't. Um, was that due to the... Was it due to the fact that he had to be hooked up to machines or stay inside the incubator or um, that his jaw was not strong enough to latch? Like, did you try to latch? What were they telling you? Well, at first he was in the incubator, um, and I think that was why he couldn't even come out of that for a while, for at least a few days. Um, and then he was hooked up to a lot of stuff. They did let me hold him, but it was always like this very careful maneuvering. And they did tell me that he probably wouldn't be able to latch right away mm-hmm. because of the immaturity of, you know, his development. They did, when when he first tried to nurse, um, you know, we had a few false starts and nothing much happened. And he just was so tired that like he barely could wake up to do that so right I'm sure the jaundice wasn't helping either right the jaundice makes them tired the fact that they're not even supposed to be out of the womb yet makes them tired you know he he definitely slept a lot mm-hmm. um, I do wish that I had pushed a little harder for the kangaroo care which is the skin to skin right you know they offer it what were you going to no I said right yeah the kangaroo care yeah yeah well, we did it once or twice, maybe, but they didn't, it always seemed like it was hassle, you know, and I'm one of these people that doesn't want to bother the busy nurses, <laughs> which, you know, in retrospect, I should have been more direct about that, but um, I think he definitely benefited when we did, when we were able to do skin to skin, but it was complex because of all of the things attached to him and all the monitors and all that, so... Um, and when I finally did get him home and he was nursing, you know, he, he eventually did nurse pretty well. And I definitely think we had a good bonding experience, but it was tough with him in the hospital like that. Right. Did you guys, was there a room where you guys could stay or were you taking turns? How was the logistics on your end, on your life, living with oh. a preemie? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, when he was in the hospital... Um, basically I went and I spent most of my day just there and I might leave for a little while or go get food in the cafeteria. And my parents drove me back and forth and they spent a lot of time there. Um, and Chad took some time off and went back and forth, but there was no space for me to stay there. And I do think that that has changed now that, um, I think that they built they've expanded the NICU and all of that, the children's area, so that there are places for mothers to stay and to nurse. Mm -hmm. But I had to nurse, like, in a room with several other babies, and they'd roll over a screen, and I was positioned behind the screen in a chair nursing, and that was very difficult. Mm -hmm. And then they had rooms you could go and and pump. But, yeah, basically my day was to get up and go to the hospital and spend time with Marshall and express breast milk and <laughs> go get lunch somewhere and come back and it was pretty tiring yeah how were since he wasn't breastfeeding how were they feeding it was it cup feeding were you doing he had well he had a feeding tube okay for a while um and then they did they did go to the bottle pretty quickly once he was able to, to suck. So if I wasn't there, once he started nursing for me, if I wasn't there at night, 
they did give him a bottle because I just I couldn't be there for every single feeding that was right. You, know, you didn't have was, a place without to a room there, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I I did get more sleep than probably most mothers with newborns do though for the first few weeks. So there's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I did have to get up and pump anyway. Um, I never he didn't seem to have a problem switching from the bottle to the breast though. So I don't you know. Um, but they did give him a bottle at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Was it, did you, were you um, managing to pump enough for it to all be breast milk, or was there a combination of, of formula and back and forth, depending on what was available? Well, I was pumping enough. Um, they were supplementing though to try to get his weight up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that that may have, contributed to me I I nursed him until about five and a half months and I would like to have gone longer but I don't know I think he was a little too used to having supplementation with formula so that might have been part of the reason it just it just stopped working well about that time and Mm -hmm. it may have been me because it was you know after all that time in the hospital and running back and forth and then he nursed a lot when I brought him home, and I think part of that was he needed the closeness. Mm-hmm. Well, unlike a lot of newborn babies, they just they do that because they're not getting, you know, I tried to just give him breast milk, and he wasn't getting the formula supplementation anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I barely moved off the couch, you know, and I, I think mentally it was, it was a lot after a while to feel stuck on the couch in the hot summer and, yeah. Yeah. How um how old was he when he came home? Um he let's see his due date would have been June it was the end of June. He came home after 4 weeks. So he actually was home about a week and a half, 2 weeks before he should have even been born. <laughs> so. Right. So even when he came home a month later, he was still Yeah. premature. It was still before his due date. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was still a couple weeks before his due date. And um he hasn't I mean his growth shot up immediately. And he caught up growth-wise with other kids and the only issue that he has had is a minor speech delay, which I don't know if that's because he was premature or not, but he's really had no problems. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um his head he did have problems uh with the shape of his head though, getting very flat. And I think because it was extra soft when he was born and and they did have him on his back quite a bit in the hospital. They had a, mm-hmm. you know, they he had jaundice and they had the shades over his eyes and he was kind of, it looked like he was in a little tanning bed. Right, with the lights, <laughs> yeah, with the very lights. Yeah, with the lights. So he did have a little bit of an issue with, with the flatness of his head, which he's mostly grown out of. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and... and... Babies nowadays spend a lot more time, even if they're not preemies, they spend a lot more time mm-hmm. on their backs. Um, so it's not uncommon to see the flat head, flat head syndrome. But depending on the severity, like you say, they do grow out of it. It's good to monitor yeah. it, but yeah, they can definitely mm-hmm. grow out of it. So I, this, like, this story is really interesting because I don't get to talk much about the preemie aspects. Um, of of birth you know mm-hmm. and having that how your whole life changes but in terms of their 
needs, their developmental and, and biological needs, he he, you're trying to recreate that womb as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, he just and and the the amount of sleep. Like I, I think when my daughter was born, I expected her to sleep a lot more than she did because <laughs> <laughs> she did not. <laughs> And he definitely was catching up on that. And I think part of it is he, he in general, seems to enjoy sleeping a little more than she does anyway. But um, mm-hmm. he just slept so much, which in some ways was easier to to adjust to. Uh-huh. I could take him anywhere and he would just fall asleep. <laughs> so. What happened to, to the hole in his lung? How did that heal up? It eventually... they. They removed the air from his chest cavity, but those, I guess, they're relatively common, and they generally just heal up. And I think, I don't know, they they told me that it does happen with um, preemies fairly frequently. Sometimes it's not a problem, or it may not have completely closed up before he was born. It may have been there, you know, so it, it's hard to say if, if them... Sometimes when they give the baby oxygen after they're born, I guess it can cause the hole to, to mm-hmm. show up, too. So, you know, they don't know for sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he hadn't had that problem, he may have been able to come home even earlier. Right. That that set him back. Yeah. And um, the lungs are kind of the last thing to mature and develop um, mm-hmm. before a baby is born. So it would make sense that that many weeks early that was still, like you say, it's imp- impossible to know, but um, the the lungs would have been maybe not quite ready yet. Yeah. yeah well, and when I had some early contractions with my daughter, they gave me um, steroid shots to try to help her lung development, I guess. I, that was my, my take on it anyway, mm-hmm. their explanation. So I got steroid shots and I also they put me on um I got shots of progesterone every week for a long chunk of time to hopefully keep her in there longer basically and it seemed to work so mm-hmm. I, I think that's a common practice now when did um, for... sorry go ahead that's okay I, we were reading up on the uh the progesterone shots and I think they they approved him in like 2011, which is the year that Marshall was born, for second pregnancies from women who'd had a premature birth um, for the first pregnancy with no explanation, like no other reason. And there was no reason it happened to me that they could find. So, mm-hmm. And yeah. so when did you, like, so in your second pregnancy, two years later, you're pregnant. Um, and you start having some cramping. When in the pregnancy did that happen? That they started doing the the, um, pro- the progesterone and the uh, steroids. Well, it was twenty eight weeks. Um, I had been having contractions on and off for maybe two weeks, and I didn't know if they were Braxton Hicks or if they were genuine contractions. Um, but you know, I was nervous and. Mm-hmm. You know, so I went in and they did see that I had dilated a little bit. Um, and that's when I was put on bed rest. So it was, it was at 28 weeks and they gave me the shots of steroids and 
Um, and then I was on bed rest until the end of the pregnancy, which went to 41 weeks. <laughs> so, so the shots worked. She stayed in there. Yeah, I think the progesterone, I, you know, with the contractions, they would stop when I rested. And it may, it may not have been an issue, but I didn't experience any contractions. Braxton Hicks or otherwise was my first pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And it was just, oh, my water broke at 34 weeks. And then I, you know, so, but I was also really nauseous the second pregnancy and I wasn't with the first. And so things can be very different mm-hmm. from pregnancy to pregnancy. Absolutely. Sure. From birth to birth. So this mm-hmm. birth was different. What did you do differently, if anything, when you were preparing? You mentioned that. You know, you had a birth plan, and so what other things did you have? We worked with a wonderful doula, which Uh was very, very key to having a good experience. We went to a doula-run birthing class where we actually talked about pain management, um, comfort measures that that weren't, you know, medical or medication-based. I created a birth plan, and I kept it very simple because I know... I'm sure the nurses and the doctors, they get these things and they're like, okay, <laughs> you know, things happen. So I just made sure that I focused on the things that were really important to me, like not having a student stitching me up after an episiotomy or, you know, preferably not having an episiotomy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe I would say to somebody writing a birth plan, think about the most important things and focus on those because know things change fast um and I like I said worked with a doula so I I had um I didn't use any pain medication we did uh, a lot of walking around a lot of other types of comfort measures and that was part uh, of your plan of I mean it it was your plan for the first birth to the first birth as well but I but you know he came quite early um but yeah. your goal for both of them was to have a natural unmedicated birth and unmedicated birth. So you were mm-hmm. doing things to go towards that. And, and so we found out. So, yes, I was her doula. She's not saying it, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I should give you credit. <laughs> yeah, that's OK. It's full disclosure. Um, <laughs> and uh, and you were you know, we worked on those non-medicated comfort measures because those things were important to you. Yeah, I, and I was disappointed on some level that I wasn't able to do that when I had Marshall. But I think, you know, I knew that I was panicked. And when you're afraid, your your pain levels are, I think, going to be higher. Um, and it definitely, you know, having you there for, for June's birth. You know, Chad, my husband was great. My mother was great. But they... They're involved in a different way, and, you know, having a doula there, having you there, you have the experience with how to talk someone down, how to calm them down, you know, and other things that they can do, like specific methods of dealing with the pain, and and that was a huge, huge help. Um, And, you know, I was induced, so that made the contractions, I think, come a lot closer together and there were some issues with that but uh we worked through it (laughs) you certainly did and it and it started because it started out as an induction at 41 weeks like the beginning part of it was very much of that 
wait and see. You were at the hospital and you were being mm -hmm. induced and there was nothing going on. So really it's about getting that Pitocin up and, and waiting to for things to happen. Yeah, and this time the doctor actually broke my water after I don't even know how many hours. It was like from 2 p.m. till 9 o'clock at night. Nothing really happened. Mm -hmm. And then he broke my water and she was born almost three hours later. So that really got things going at that point. Um, and yeah, I, I really... I'm glad that we did it the way we did it the second time. I was really proud of how everything went and, you know, felt much more present. And, you know, it was exhausting. <laughs> it was very exciting to be able to, you know, be a little more aware and not as, as dopey feeling as I was the first time. Mm -hmm. And you so, had a bag and a plan. And a pet, yeah. <laughs> everything was right. Right. Although her room wasn't ready yet either. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not important because, you know, they I had both the kids sleeping in with me for the first few months at least. So, so you don't need that room just at the beginning. You don't have yet. to have the nursery ready. That's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and things did change. I mean, the whole time, because like you said, you had been dilated from way early on. Um, mm -hmm. So that morning I was looking at my notes and... It says you were three centimeters at the beginning, and then you kind of stayed more or less that way yeah. all day as the Pitocin increased. And um, I've got the breaking of the waters at 940. So Yeah, 940. And she was born at 1230 something. Oh, my goodness. Don't I got 1237 right. <laughs> here. Yeah, <laughs> you do. 1237. Hey, that was good. <laughs> So uh, I did remember. 9, 10, 11, 12, three hours later from mm -hmm. that breaking of waters, she came out. Um, I bet I only pushed for about a half an hour, too. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah. Both both pregnancies, that pushing went pretty quickly. So. I remember one thing was when you felt the urge to push, I remember a nurse coming up and she was about to tell you to, you know, start instructing you how to push. Oh. When she wanted me to lie down on my back? Yeah. Is that what you're... Oh, yeah. I, that was, no, <laughs> that wasn't going to work. <laughs> well, that's what I, I remember you saying. Yeah, she was trying to tell me and no, I was going to do my own thing. That was just not going to happen. Yeah. No, and and I found lying on my side works much, much better than lying on my back. Yeah, that was, lying on my back wasn't going to happen. That felt horrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I tried to get up on my knees, but I was having real problems with dizziness because I, I get lightheaded very easily. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't working very well either. Yeah, that was unfortunate because walking around through labor was really helpful to me. And then all of a sudden I just... I couldn't, I was going to pass out. So I had to kind of sit and rock on the edge of the bed for a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and your mom was there this time? Mm-hmm. And having my mother there was great, yes. And and she was a good support. And, you know, I think being able to have people in the room, too, you know, with, with Marshall's pregnancy or with his birth, I couldn't have... I could only have one other person in the room, so we wouldn't have had a situation like 
like my, you know, like June's birth where I could have mm-hmm. a doula and my mother and my husband all in there with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you remember at one point you were even watching the, the Colbert Report. Yep, yep. Um, when things were not progressing, we were watching <laughs> the Daily Show and the Colbert Report on the computer. <laughs> it's good to have a distraction if things aren't going very quickly. Um, that was before the contractions started picking up. But, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that was a fun birth, and you did you did amazing. You did amazing. I was so glad oh, you got thank to you. have yeah have the birth go more like you wanted. Um, well. Having you there for support made it yeah. <laughs> made it go a lot better. Well, and you had no episiotomy, yay! Yay! <laughs> it's meant for much much faster healing. That's for sure. Absolutely. So, any, I'm going to put you on the spot and say, like, any other advice you have for moms that might be listening out there, um, in terms of that comparison of having had these two very different births and going through the preemie um, experience. Any words of wisdom <laughs> from Jen Jillette? <laughs> Pack your bag in about 30 weeks, at least, <laughs> just in case. Um, I, think it's, I think it's also good to not, to not be afraid to ask questions. And I think a lot of people, myself included, you know, we get intimidated by what we view as authority figures, doctors, nurses, people that, you know, we assume know more than us, and, and they do about those things, but don't be afraid to ask questions, and especially before something, you know, a decision is made for you, you know, if um, if you're nervous about something, you know, maybe even ask the questions before you're at the hospital, you know, um, there are just, it's it's hard, my biggest thing was feeling like I needed to know things, but I didn't know what I needed to know. Mm-hmm. So seeking out information ahead of time is, is helpful. And having someone like you, a doula, who has the experience, that was very helpful. Um, going online can be, but that can also get scary. So, you know, Google Google may not be your friend. <laughs> Pick your sites carefully. <laughs> right, right. Make sure, make sure you're not just reading message boards <laughs> and comments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And um, you can always join the, like, I'm going to do my plug here. You can always join the Birthful Mamas group on Facebook. <laughs> right. Right. That would be a good place to go for information. Yes. Yeah. And to do that, you can subscribe at birthful.com. I'm just going to lay that out there because <laughs> then you can talk to mamas. Have a safe and evidence based space in the internet. There are many. Yeah. Evidence based yeah. birth is a good one. Um, kellymom.com mm-hmm. is another one. What was your favorite? Um, I used Kelly Mom and I used, um, well, the Mayo Clinic had just mm-hmm. pretty straightforward stuff. Yes. You know, there wasn't any fluff in there, but it was, um, I think I had the Mayo Clinic book as well. Um, you know, I, I know some people that are crazy about what to expect when you're expecting. And I, I didn't really like the layout of that. It kind of jumped all over for me, but I'm very I like organized, logical stuff, so that's why the Mayo Clinic one works for me. Mm-hmm. I um, like the Mayo one too. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Fabulous. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing these stories with us and having that unique perspective into a, a premature birth and, and the weeks after. That's very yeah. helpful. I hope. I, I know it is to me, and I hope it is to many other listeners. 
Well, thank you for having me. It's nice to be able to talk about it. Yay, birth stories. (laughs) All right, I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. Bye. Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. And if you'd like to share your birth story, let me know as well. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter. And even better, become a part of the Birthful community by subscribing at birthful.com. You'll get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive goodies. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.